0: Charles Leclerc dominates the Australian Grand Prix and stretches his championship lead after Max Verstappen retires for the second time in three races. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Amanato, and this is Round 3, the Australian Grand Prix, powered by LeafCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeafCal in the Zero app store. The newly revised Albert Park Circuit offered teams and drivers a brand new challenge for the Australian Grand Prix's 25th running in Melbourne, but it delivered an increasingly familiar result. Charles Leclerc won and at a canter. Easily fastest in qualifying, he led every lap took the fastest lap of the race and won the Grand Prix by more than 20 seconds in his first career Grand Slam. Red Bull Racing had no answer to Ferrari's pace. Setup errors made on Friday left it off the pace on Saturday and worse off on Sunday. It never really stood a chance. And things were made worse by Max Verstappen's second terminal engine problem in three races, dropping him to 46 points off the title lead. So to help explain what happened in the first Australian Grand Prix in three years, I'm joined by Phil Horton from AutoWeek.
1: Phil, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Hi, Michael. Good to be here. Good to be sat right opposite you rather yes. than over a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call. We are actually in person in yes. Melbourne for the first time in, well, we say three years. It's really two years, but we pretend wow. 2020 didn't happen.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, it's three years since the race, so we can say that, but yes. it's two years since the unpleasantness, so we can... Yeah. <laughs> In all of those things, I feel like we've got some numbers to work with there. Yes, in real person, you can tell from the reverb of this recording, but the value is very good, the value is very high. Uh, It's been great to be back at Albert Park for Formula One. New Albert Park, though, it's a completely, well, not completely different challenge, but a relatively substantial different challenge for teams and drivers. Not only a different layout, but also a different surface. There was a lot of learning to do this weekend.
1: There was, and not much time in which to do it, especially when you get practice sessions disrupted by a couple of incidents. I think there was some debris on Friday and then a couple of crashes on Saturday. Um, And I think that did have an impact because I think some of the teams underestimated the impact that the new surface had. Uh, I think a couple of teams also underestimated just how how much change there was with removing that um, the slow chicane that was turn 9 and 10, I think it was, and created that really fast section pretty much through, well, kind of almost turn 4 all the way down to turn 11 because 6 was now so much faster they opened that one up. So that was now, I think, taken either in 5th or 6th, depending on you know, what tyres you were on and which car you had. Then it was just full throttle all the way through that fast chicane. So it's turned into, I mean, it already was quite a fast mm. circuit, but now there's really only probably you'd say two, three slow corners and most are medium or high speed now.
0: Yeah, and it's really it's really changed the profile of the circuit overall, hasn't it? Because it was it's still very much a straight track. And I think people do forget that when you look at the, the quality of the racing, let's say, but... It's got a, It's a broader combination of challenges now, whereas all of the corners were, were relatively samey, similar speed previously. We've now got a couple of medium speed ones at the start, super fast back section, 1.3 kilometres, I think it is, flat out, and then a sort of more finicky final sector. And as we'll talk about later, that really caught Red Bull out, that final sector in particular. But as you said, the challenge was quite different. Friday, not that much practice time. I think the thing that particularly caught teams out, and again, this is about Red Bull, is just the level of evolution they got. Of course, this surface being quite new.
1: Yeah, I mean that does tend to happen, especially on parkland circuits, especially one that hasn't been used um, in three years and one that was resurfaced. Um, so the evolution was quite high. Pirelli also made a step in the compounds this weekend, so that that was another factor to throw into the equation. And you've also got to remember it's the first time Albert Park for quite a few of the drivers. You know, Nicholas Latifi, Mick Schumacher, Yuki Tsunoda, all the guys that haven't joined Formula One after 2019, and also the guys that. Um, have changed teams since then. I think it was only six of the same 20 drivers from the 2019 race were with the same team. So it's all different practices, different protocols, and just understanding what the track was going to do because you know, we know simulations one thing mm-hmm. and in reality is another.
0: You just have to look at the level of porpoising to know simulation well, exactly. is not doing the job. The Pirelli thing I think is interesting, not because an extra step made a huge amount of difference in the end. In fact, the gap between the two, the three compounds was was pretty similar. It's around about 0.7, Pirelli says. But there's still work to be done here, and I think this speaks to the fact there was so little testing for Pirelli on these tyres, right, because the cars were all new, they were, these cars didn't exist before this year. And Mario Isla has been talking a lot about trying to meet that target letter of the gaps between the tyres that we think will generate the most racing. It was interesting that it actually required a, a missing compound, it was the C4 that wasn't brought, the C5 instead is the soft. They kind of kind of got us there even if it didn't appear in the race or only appeared very briefly in the race we should say yeah
1: it is interesting for Pirelli and I do think they have a very hard job because you think through last year they had the mule cars and also they had nine of the ten teams they didn't have Williams still operating in a pandemic so it is hard with the whole logistics um and also because it's such a moving benchmark for the teams you know the, the teams were giving data to Pirelli but a how much did they know of precisely what data they were giving and B, were they then you think, well, were they giving everything just in case, you know, with everyone being top secret of level of performance. So I think the cars have been faster to an extent than maybe w- was anticipated. So now Pirelli obviously working on the program already for 2023, but even that's got, it's got headaches because they're starting at Imola, but they're still trying to define the exact timetable because the second half of the year is, is so congested with races for after the summer break. Um, so it it is interesting how they do hone and develop the product. Obviously it's a new one, it's you know the 18-inch tires, but I think so far I think they can be fairly happy because they've had an impact and an influence on racing and the strategy and it's largely created good racing and some variable strategies, but it's not it's not been the defining factor because I don't think we should ever get to the end of the race and the defining factor is the tires. I mean it's yeah. you're always going to have it as a factor. That's just natural. But not like in past seasons where it's it's just been, oh, someone falls off a cliff and that's it. They're gone. It doesn't matter how good your car is. It doesn't matter how good your drive is. It just depends on the tyres. I think that's that's gone and I think that's good.
0: Yeah, I remember a story, in fact, from 2017 or before 2017 when the rules had a, a major change. Uh, that some of the data Pirelli was getting from the teams estimating the performance were wildly diverse, like seconds apart for cars. Yeah. And it was pretty clear that some teams were just not being very honest, as honest as they could be.
1: I, I can't believe Formula <laughs> 1 teams would be deceptive <laughs> Incredible,
0: like that. isn't it? Incredible. So yeah, it's, it is always a challenge to design tyres for cars that... Don't yet exist And you only have data to work with them Uh, We expected coming into this race It was going to be a battle between Ferrari and Red Bull I guess partly true But not so much the battle part It was certainly Ferrari and Red Bull at the front Not a massive battle in the end We can argue about where exactly this weekend was set up In terms of Ferrari's ultimate domination You might ambitiously like to say It started in testing When Ferrari had a great pre-season test So did Red Bull But haven't had quite the easy run that Ferrari's had since then with that car. Really, we can go back to free practice and it's all about the way they set up for this track. But let's talk about the Ferrari car because it seems, and yes, it's only the third circuit, so we only have a relatively small sample size, but it just seems to work everywhere. I'm yet to see really a a problem that Ferrari's encountered with this
1: car. No, I think that's the very positive thing is I'm struggling to remember a time because you think we've had Barcelona testing, which was, I mean, it wasn't cold, but it wasn't warm. We've then had Bahrain, where it was and Saudi Arabia, hot in the daytime, cooler conditions at night, still hot, obviously. Um, different circuit characteristics with Bahrain being obviously quite full throttle, point and squirt. Saudi high speed. Um, Melbourne more similar to Saudi Arabia, but still, still different characteristics. So you've had four circuits now where the Ferrari's been fast everywhere. Quite compliant, it's reliable, looks good on the tyres. Seems to give the drivers confidence, which is a big thing, especially at street tracks and. There's a lot of street tracks coming up over the next couple of months as well. Um, Ferrari also very good so far on things such as strategy and pit stops. So as a team, they're working well. Um, It seems that they've put everything they learned across the last two years into practice so far. And it's it's, it's been better than anyone, I think, could have anticipated um, in terms of the results, in terms of the points. I think when you look back at it, Leclerc could have swept everything if it wasn't for the lap of... Sergio Perez's life in Saudi Arabia and that very close battle with Max in Saudi that, that was effectively dictated by virtual safety car timing and and, and then how it unfolded after that, could have won that race. So uh, there's nothing so far I've seen, I mean, maybe something will happen that we haven't yet contemplated, but nothing so far that I've thought, well, we still have to see how Ferrari work at this track or in this circumstances. Maybe maybe wet weather, That's that's does, the only yeah. thing, but... Now that Formula One tends to travel to warmer and sunnier places, it's less of an issue than say 2020 when it was cold and more likely to to rain because it was autumnal in Europe. Or and also when you have the fastest and the most compliant car, that tends to also manifest itself in the fastest and most drivable car in wet conditions as well. So that's the only one that you'd say. Well, we haven't seen them in the wet yet, but everywhere else they've looked, they've just looked very fast and. Very I don't want to say easy to drive because it's still a formula one car they they have still been bouncing um but i think the the word that I would always use is compliant that's mm. that's what drivers want alongside speed and and that's what the the Ferrari seems to give both drivers so far.
0: And you'd have to say, in an unusual, I guess, turn of or, or the, the balance of performance, it's between Ferrari and Red Bull, the Ferrari seems happier with higher downforce. Normally, we talk about the Red Bull racing car as yeah. being the more downforce-laden, and again, it's early in the development cycle, but the, the almost the key to Ferrari's performance in the first three races was being happier with a little bit more downforce than the Red Bull car, which seems to be seeking high-speed performance.
1: Yeah, I think so, having just... Having just said there's no weaknesses of the Ferrari, you could then quite clearly see in Saudi. Less so here about the, the straight line speed. So I will, I will slightly contradict myself. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but yeah. it's all it set up. But, but this it speaks it, to set yeah. up being the yeah, fine margin. Yeah. Um, and I think more so that I think Ferrari did look like they took a step forward slightly. Well, certainly in the hands of Charles Leclerc in Melbourne. Um, but also when you looked at the the pace gap between Ferrari and Mercedes was similar I think to the first two races was Red Bull clearly stepped back so I think I think it was I don't want to say a deceptive picture because Ferrari were clearly the best team with the best driver in Melbourne but I think also that was assisted by the fact that Red Bull clearly didn't quite get it right so I think you'd expect it to be closer at future races but it's it's, it reminds you a bit of um I want to say Mercedes in 2017 where they clearly had a good car and the same with Ferrari but the Ferrari was quite consistent whereas Mercedes missed the window more often And it seems like that with Ferrari and Red Bull so far in terms of you're always now expecting Ferrari to be there. But the question is, will Red Bull be there? Because if if they're not there, they seem to be quite a way off.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And that would be an interesting dynamic for the season if Red Bull's always starting half a step behind at a race. And the question is whether they can catch up by yes. Saturday, inevitably, by qualifying. Uh, it seemed a little bit like that. In fact, let's before we turn our t- attention to Red Bull racing, let's just finish off Ferrari here. Uh, because it seems like they have few weaknesses I guess Carlos Sainz might argue differently Because he did seem to suffer problems It was a shared responsibility between team and driver I think even he admitted that Although he did share a little bit more frustration yeah. with the team Than the, than the driver, obviously uh, But problems in qualifying with the starter motor uh, Then in the race, the problems with the steering wheel That had to be swapped late Which contributed to his poor start And then obviously he, he put it off the road so, imperfections, and I guess, again, inverse to Red Bull Racing, if we want to say that's a little bit of bad luck on one side of the garage at Red Bull, unfortunately, Max Verstappen has suffered a little bit more luck and in his side of the garage at Red Bull, hasn't he? Because Sergio Perez is one retirement fewer than Max at this point in the season.
1: Yes, I mean... It's unfortunate for Max because he's effectively, you know, the championship has been massively distorted by two failures. You know, if you give him those 36 points, he's he's 10 behind Leclerc and we're no longer talking about what looks like a runaway series leader. But reliability is part of Formula One. Red Bull have been surprised by the failures because they thought after testing they had quite a reliable car. And now there's been two separate issues for Max, which is unfortunate, you know, because he's, well... Checo also had the problem in Bahrain, but he's the one that they're obviously backing for the title. So they're effectively, they can't afford, even after three races, they can't afford another setback. They've kind of used up their season's worth of setbacks by April. And I think the the other concerning thing for Red Bull is it's not necessarily just that he's had these two failures, but they've been two different failures. And the fact that AlphaTauri, Torre, which of course used the same Red Bull powertrains, honda rebel powertrains <laughs> <laughs> depending on how we're branding them yeah, no or who's yeah. taking the responsibility yeah, for this have yeah. had separate issues as well obviously with pierre gasly in bahrain and then yuki Sonoda not starting the race in in saudi arabia already onto his third and final engine of the year so there's going to be penalties at some stage you know sure they'll take the old one back to the pool and do checks and reuse but reliability is one thing Early in the season, that is is definitely a concern for Red Bull.
0: In fact, I think, and this is a rough calculation, it may even be higher than this, it's been seven session ending engine related problems for Red Bull powertrains this year. in that, three high. races. Yeah, it's high, isn't it? Three in Bahrain, three in Saudi, only one in Australia, so they're improving. So, I mean,
1: 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have said, oh, you two engine failures, whatever, you know, yeah. that's Formula One. But now in the era of reliability, like, I think, mm. did Max have a single reliability failure last year that, that ended Not his race? Not I can I can't. remember, no. I mean, no. there are accidents and he had to take on other mm-hmm. power unit components because of the accidents. But mm-hmm. after years of kind of having these glitches, you know, through Renault and through the early years of, of them being with Honda, when they did have a few uh, race ending setbacks mm-hmm. last year, and I think the same for Checo as well. I don't remember him having many, many yeah. issues either. Um, reliability was one of their strengths last year compared to Mercedes um, when they were fighting Mercedes for the title. Whereas this year red bull out of the top teams at, uh, by far, the most unreliable so far.
0: Yeah, same number of podiums this year as Mercedes, which is incredible to think. You'd never have picked that before the Bahrain Grand Prix. And worth saying here as well on reliability being a a potential decider in this fight. Yeah, Red Bull was quite reliable last year. So was Ferrari, though. In fact, the last time they had a technical retirement was 2020 in Italy in... When was that race, actually? It was not It was roughly in its September time slot in Monza, wasn't it, I think, in yeah. 2020? Yeah, yeah I so think so, yeah. It's been around 18 months since Ferrari suffered a technical problem that's ended a race, which is a strength of theirs, you'd have to say. We don't know what's going to happen this season, of course, but it, it, it seems like, it seems like yeah. you can count on that.
1: And I think that's, I wouldn't say Ferrari have been slept on, but I think because the fight last year between Red Bull and Mercedes was so fierce and so intense and it took so much of the attention, the, the spotlight, that... Everyone sort of was ignoring or not necessarily looking at what Fry was doing. And every now and then you looked and you thought, well, considering they've effectively used, they use their development tokens to kind of fix what was wrong rather than actually developing. And then they didn't really bring any chassis developments, obviously one or two bits, but they were focusing on the engine. They brought the hybrid system in September. And, you know, they did have strong reliability. Then that had strong reliability, which is obviously what they were looking for. So you kind of look back at Ferrari's last year and think, you know, under the radar, they were doing a very good job with what they had, you know, operationally, strategically. So the fact that now they're kind of they're yielding the reward of that, you know, that hard work through last year when they weren't fighting at the front. So it's kind of proving that, you know, it's all one. It's one thing saying, well we are focusing on 2022 because you could look at lots of teams down the grids so that yeah. they're all looking at 2022 and saying, well, that's our opportunity. That's our target. That's when the field's going to be closer. That's when we've got the budget cap. That's when these cars that we're behind on are gone. But Ferrari the ones that have actually put it into practice and have started the season very, very strongly. I, th- I think, you know, I'm sure someone might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you'd probably say probably their strongest start since the last of Schumacher's titles in 2004. I don't, to I, don't, say, I don't think yeah. they've had a stronger start. You know, they've won races in the first few races since then, but I, I wouldn't say I don't remember Ferrari being this strong in probably a couple of decades at the start of a year.
0: Mm. And in fact, I think we did this calculation after the race. This is the strongest start of any driver, at least in this points era since 20. 20- I think Mika Rosberg
1: in 2016, didn't he win the first three races? But in terms of points, I should say. In terms of points,
0: sorry. Biggest points score in this points era because of the bonus lap point. Look at that. Still having an impact all these years after being introduced. Uh, it's, that's the way it's balancing out so far uh, Just to go back to Red Bull Racing Their problems did start on Friday They set up essentially in the wrong direction The weather was quite changeable in Melbourne Always warm It was, yeah But relatively different on Sunday compared to Friday They suspected this new track was going to be real limited And I guess you might have guessed that Considering it had one fewer slower corner did end up being front limited. And we saw towards the end of the first stint for Max Verstappen, the graining became quite severe. And we saw all of a sudden, when he was sort of sticking around with Leclerc in the first five or 10 laps, suddenly locking up quite a bit in that final sector, dropping seconds at a time sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, he just couldn't keep up. He was obviously trying to, but then once you do that, you get stuck into that cycle of can't keep up, burning through the tyres, mm-hmm. suffering the front left graining, and then you you can't you don't have any strategic options. You can't go longer because you're just mm-hmm. losing time. So it just didn't work from the outset. You know, through practice, and it's, it's been a theme throughout the year. I don't think Max has been ever really been mm-hmm. that extraordinarily happy with the balance of the car. Um, I think during practice three on uh, Saturday, I think there were three successive hot laps where he made a mistake mm-hmm. on each one. I think yeah. three separate parts of the track. I think one was turned into turn one and it didn't it didn't stick. I think another one was turn six and he got a snap of oversteer and I think the other one was turn... I can't remember. They were showing that there were problems at different parts of the lap. It wasn't like it was one corner. It wasn't like the tyres were coming in too early or too late or whatever. So, I mean, he was still second fastest in qualifying. It wasn't like it was a disaster and he was out in Q2. But I think that there's something not quite right there, especially in qualifying. They can't quite get a handle on it in qualifying. And then in in the race here compared to the first two, They just couldn't live with the pace of the Ferraris.
0: Yeah, and that was the bottom line, really. And as you said, by the time we even got to the first pit stop window, there were no options. Verstappen stopped. Leclerc took another four laps to stop. There was no challenge. coincided with the safety car. The safety car restart almost got him. The tyre warm-up seemed a little bit more difficult for Ferrari, but that's because those tyres were fresh on, whereas Verstappen had a little bit more residual heat, I suppose. But... Covered that off as well. Probably a good weekend for the so-called Verstappen restart rule to have been in effect. That may well have changed things. He had to stay behind Leclerc rather than alongside him. And that was really the race done once Leclerc managed to get away from that safety car restart in the middle of the race. And then, of course, shortly afterwards, Verstappen's car stopped on track. So, an extremely comprehensive weekend from Leclerc. I thought it was interesting as well. Very keen to set that fastest lap late in the race. He was denied a pit stop, which is understandable. You never want to make unnecessary pit stops still managed to do it on the final lap of the race anyway. Quite a few drivers set their fastest lap on the final lap of the race, but just underlined, I guess, first of all, his hunger and and realisation, I think this was a good weekend to maximise points, given Verstappen was out. But also, to come back to the tyres, this hard compound tyre, and we saw this even in in Saudi Arabia, was the harder tyre, just seems to really click with these cars. Not a lot of degradation, performance sticks around for a long time. We'll talk about Alex Albon in just a second, because he really underlined it. It just seems to be that that, is really working out for these
1: cars it is and i think it's good it depends it'll be interesting to see how long it lasts how whether if we do keep getting these one stop strategies whether there's going to be any push of thinking well we are enjoying the racing but do we want (laughs) to try and push towards two stops again because it seems that f1 does tend to fluctuate over oh well we need tires when you can push hard and go to the end of the race and then you get people going Ah, but we want three stop strategies and massive differences and blah blah so i think so far it's good Um, but I think also that also shows a testament to just how good the Ferrari has been with its tyres anyway that there was no fear of you know sometimes in the past you've had no 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 we need to look after the tyres for the last five laps you know we don't want to risk any failure whereas look well maybe Ferrari were less eager to do it but Leclerc was certainly like there, there, there weren't any messages of oh the rear feels a bit loose or oh I'm losing the front left or whatever it was yeah 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 can we push for the fastest lap please you've got it no 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 but i want it again i want want to go faster yes so and that also just shows a a sign of a driver which just has total confidence in in the car you know this was reminded me of f2 in 2017 where he just bolted into the distance and you thought how is he doing these times and it's it's the first time i can remember in formula one that he's had just a crushing victory because his his other three have been fairly close run if you think you know spa monza 2019 they are pretty close and then Bahrain, he had a battle, it was quite close, until the very last laps. Um, so this was one where you thought, oh, it's, just, it's like the start of the Leclerc era of um, just pulverising the opposition.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see how, <laughs> how pulverised they become by the end of the year. Yeah. First start, uh, Grand Shalem. Or Grand Slam of
1: the year as well for him. memory. you it Shalem or well, I'm
0: not. I don't know. I'm not sure. I wish I'd looked that up. Just say Grand Slam. You just say Grand much Slam. Much easier. Gra- much easier. Grand Slam. That's, of course, pole. He's
1: brought the flag back to Maranello. Yeah, absolutely. To right. his old teammates.
0: Yes. Uh, every lap led after starting from pole, fastest lap, and, of course, winning the race. Uh, it's the f- only the 15th driver, I think, in Formula on history to do it. Something, yeah, it's not, not, not so common. I mean, leading every lap is yeah. quite difficult, I think, isn't it? The other ones, it so it's just the fastest lap thing
1: as well is that some people yes. pit for the you know, soft tyres and they take it yeah. away. Which has distorted um, things a little bit in I the think it was last few years. the first years. Ferrari driver since? Was it Alonso in 2010 did one? I, I think believe it said yeah. Singapore.
0: Because realistically, how often? Oh, so, yeah, yes, I think you're right, in fact. Yes, it would be Fernando Alonso. Uh, who, of course, had a career high race this weekend in Australia. Was it his if best you race ever? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was, was his the, best, was it was the ever. best lap ever, Started from really, pole and yeah. won the race. Had the other cars in a, not been in an moved.
1: alternative world. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. That's the way the battle at the front panned out. Uh, Sergio Perez. Actually, one more thing I did want to touch on, just to emphasise Red Bull's struggles in the early phase of the race on that medium tyre, was in fact that around the pit stop window, Mercedes, which has realistically been down and out so far this season, if they've even if they've got those two podiums was faster for a brief window of time. Lewis Hamilton managed to overcut Sergio Perez because the graining on those tyres was so poor. Mercedes still not really there. We know that even though the podium and the fact that they are ahead in the constructor standings does paint this misleading picture. But it does, I guess, at least give a little bit of hope, doesn't it? That there is some kind of potential that if they can unlock something from the car, you know that there is enough of a baseline to kind of get there.
1: Yeah, possibly. And we're in such a new era that in the past upgrades you know teams the last few years you rarely see an upgrade package where it makes a phenomenal difference because it was all very marginal gains whereas because we are in this new era you know there could be something that clicks and they just they find it and they're like wow this is it this is what we've been searching for i think through the weekend in australia the noises were that they're not convinced that's coming soon i think it's it's gone more of oh once we fix the bouncing we fix the issues i think that that kind of line that was being fed across the first two races wasn't so prominent. So I think there's more issues than just the bouncing, but you're right that I think it was surprising that through that, the final stages of that first stint, Mm -hmm. both Hamilton and Russell were kind of reeling Perez in and, and almost dragging the McLarens along with them for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously Hamilton then overcut Perez and then they were battling um, when the safety car came out. And it was unfortunate timing for Lewis Hamilton in that respect, because Sergio Perez just got past return nine. He was going to get the cut back through 10. And just as they were about to probably run side by side with mm-hmm. Hamilton having the better straight line speed because of his line, the safety car came out because of Seb crashing. And then obviously George Russell got the, uh, the overcut through mm-hmm. that safety car period with effectively getting a free stop. So I think if you would have offered them third and fourth at the start of the weekend, they would have absolutely taken that. The only issue is the fact that they are doing quite good damage limitation with George Russell second in the championship, you know, aside from Lewis Hamilton's problem in Saudi Arabia, you know, the, the fact that George Russell is second in the championship having qualified ninth, sixth and sixth across yeah. the three races is fairly extraordinary. The problem is damage limitation only works when there's something coming on the horizon yeah. of like, well, minimize the damage now, then once we've got the car, you know, say we have to perform at our weaker circuits and take advantage at our better circuits. But at the moment, it's like, Okay, damage limitation works for now, but it it can't work long term. There gets to a point where, you know, they're thirty four and forty three points behind now. Are, what happens once it gets if it gets to sixty or seventy? Seventy becomes eighty. Eighty becomes ninety. Is it like well? can we win from that far back even if we have a better car but there's no guarantee that's happening it's not like oh we know we're bringing a big up we understand the car we're bringing a big upgrade package to i don't know silverstone that's when our season starts that's not happening they still don't understand the exact weaknesses so they can't bring updates they can't begin to develop the updates until they know what to fix there's no point just throwing new parts at the problem because you're just going to overcomplicate things so it's going to be a while i think Maybe F1 Sprint at Imola will help them. I'm not sure how. Maybe right. maybe street circuits coming up might help them if they can stay out of trouble. But eventually, while they are doing a good job, you know, Lewis and Saudi aside, it, it becomes a point where you think you, you just can't keep doing damage limitation.
0: Yeah, the longer it runs, the more that upgrade package needs to be super effective, and in fact, to get straight, them ahead of everyone away. else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Time is of the essence. Let's look at some of the Contra strategies from this race because there are a couple of interesting ones. Alex Albon, of course, stands out uh, prime amongst them. Started at the very back, thrown out of qualifying, in fact, for not having enough fuel post-qualifying for testing. Started on the hard tyre, which is contrary to almost everybody else who started on the medium. Pretty standard strategy for most other drivers. But what I liked about this idea, and Jos Capito said this afterwards, was that it was really gambling for a red flag, which isn't that common <laughs> at the end of the day. You know, they're increasingly common, yeah. but it's, it's still a bit of a long shot. But looking at the fact the circuit was new, we did see quite a high error rate at this track as well up until yes. and including in the race. And while the track in some points p- uh, parts were wider, certainly in the corners, there are other parts where the walls were actually brought in. It was made a little bit yeah, more they claustrophobic. Moved in, yeah, in, And so, you know, on balance, I guess if you were going to bet on a red flag, of course, there are a more street more streety street circuits, if we can say that, than <laughs> Melbourne. But not a bad place to make a bet. And even without it, it kind of worked out.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, when you're – I suppose it's a fight between them and Aston Martin for having the least competitive car. But when you, when you do have the least competitive car, there's no point just mirroring everyone else's strategy because you're going to stay 18th, 19th, whatever. It's just stupid to do that. Um, so I think adopting that different strategy, I think it worked probably beyond what they expected. I think mm-hmm. Albon said, you know, their pre-race expectations were all, all their sims were saying it's 19th and 20th, which yeah. I think he said, oh, it made us pretty sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you've got to try something different and they tried They tried it last year or the last year as you saw with George Russell's strategy that sometimes they just had to think outside the box and go a bit left field. Um, obviously they were helped by three drivers ahead retiring that you wouldn't have expected a Ferrari driver to throw it off the road after two laps. You wouldn't have expected the world champion to retire. So in a different world, it would have been 12th and maybe not as many people would have noticed. But Alex, there was a fantastic race because although we know the hard tires quite durable, you know, to keep them alive for 56 laps and not just just to keep them alive, but to keep them alive and fast. You know, he was putting in very competitive laps during the last few laps of his stint on the hard tyres. And then he only came out briefly or very um he did very well to keep the tires alive and he only just came out ahead of uh, joe guanyu during the, the closing stages um so he needed that performance it wasn't like oh he just kept the hard tire alive and pitted and see what happened he, he needed to push on them and he did um so i think it's an outstanding drive i think probably one of his best in formula one when you consider he's been away through all the last year and it's just such a boost for williams because you know they had three accidents across the course of the weekend in Saudi Arabia you know then he had the big accident with Nicky on um, in qualifying that wasn't his fault Um, so a lot of repair work a lot of long hours so to get that point it will be a boost for the team to know that they don't have a fast car but in the right circumstances with the right strategy they they can move into the top 10.
0: Gets the monkey off the back too for how many how long in the last few years has it been a matter of just trying to get a point yeah now this year of course the game is still to get points but now no longer the team at the back without any. It's Aston Martin, the only team yet to score a point. I think it really speaks to as well the fact that going into a race knowing you're going to try to be ambitious, like knowing theoretically he would have to go as far as the final lap or penultimate lap of the race if that red flag were to come out. Let's contrast this with Lance Stroll who ran a similar strategy but couldn't execute it. In fact, their races were intertwined in a certain sense, but kind of did it a little bit by circumstance. Started on the hards, pitted twice behind that lap two safety car for Carlos Sainz to go onto the mediums, then to go back onto the hards with the idea that he'd go very long. Was tempted to stop for another set of hards behind that second safety car for Sebastian Vettel. So just didn't have the confidence and preparation, I guess, to do what Alex Albon did. It shows that, you know, if you really do want to commit and try something ambitious, I mean, as ambitious as this running an entire race in one set of compound, uh, one, one compound, you really do need to set out uh, and do it from the beginning. But the way these races were interacted, of course, was that Lance Stroll effectively created a bit of a gap for Alex Albon towards the end of yeah. the race.
1: Yeah, it helped because he was slowing up, you know, I say slow, not the likes of um, Valtteri Bottas, Pierre Gasly, a few guys behind him. Um, I don't know. I mean, with Aston Martin, it's just everything's going wrong there at the moment, isn't it? There there doesn't seem to be one thing they can do right. Um, Strategically, it was, again, like with Williams, it was a gamble. But I think that's showing, even in small things such as even within the back markers, one operation, he got it right. One didn't. You know, there there were points on offer for Aston Martin if Stroll kept out of trouble. I mean, we'll see at the end of the race, he was, we classified, well, and the results, he's 10 seconds behind album. If you take out the penalty for weaving, that would have been five seconds. So, they're fine margins, you know, with a little bit more pace, a little bit more nouse during the race. He might, have, he might have come out ahead of Albon and got that final point, but I think it just shows how things just aren't stringing together for Aston Martin at the moment.
0: Mm. And there is a difference between a car that's slow because it just lacks performance and a car that's slow and is a little bit of erratic, like the Aston Martin yeah. seems to be. And yeah, I mean, you look at Vettel's crash, for example, and I think even Mike Crack said afterwards that the car just isn't really doing what it needs to do. Whereas Williams' car seems pretty decent. In a similar way to McLaren seems decent. I'll be much further up the road, but just slow. And so that at least allowed Alex Albon to pull this one off. And finally, Fernando Alonso was another driver to start on the hard tyre. Unfortunately for him, who was aiming to do almost like a pure contra strategy, right? Switch onto the mediums later. Two safety cars. Admittedly, one was relatively early in the race just detracts from that idea because the field is a little bit closer than you expect by yeah. the time you want to make your stop. Couldn't gain anything. We said afterwards, which I thought was amusing enough, you're surprised that Pierre Gasly wasn't passing Lance Stroll quickly enough for his liking, <laughs> but then ultimately couldn't do it himself in his greatest race of his career to date. apparently. Uh, it's, it just shows that the margins are still quite fine. And also, I think the idea that the racing is close means that weirdly, and I think it was George Russell who said this in pre-season testing, overtaking might be harder because everyone has an opportunity now
1: well that is the thing if you you always need in motorsport you are always going to need a delta to overtake that's just kind of i don't know physics i guess is the right word um so if the ambition is to have everyone really close then it's going to be harder to overtake because if you're only one or two tenths faster than the car in front well Mm -hmm. good luck um and i know you know we do um chuckle a little bit at fernando alonso's self-praise and greatest laps ever of his life and what could have been but in fairness to him there was a a, he was on it in qualifying probably wasn't going to be quick enough for pole position because I think Leclerc's lap was significantly faster and he had time in hand but you know when you see Lando Norris qualified fourth I think there's every reason to expect that when you look at the sector times Fernando had done in sector one and sector two and the fact the track does tend to ramp up a little bit you think he would have been in that fight probably third maybe fourth And then from there, it's just a completely different race that from third or fourth, you run the conventional strategy. You know, you don't have any reason to, you know, to adopt a different approach. You just do what the others are doing, try and shadow them, try and take a podium rather than have to go differently. So it just, it all spiraled. It went wrong for him, the safety car timing. He had to then make another pit stop down in 17th. I mean, it's just been a terrible start of the season for him in terms of fortune, not in terms of pace, you know. He's still, Esteban Ocon had a kind of weirdly just anonymous weekend in which you look and you think oh well somehow he's ended up seventh don't know how he's just sort of there um which tends to happen sometimes for a driver whereas Alonso was on it so yeah there's no question about he's still fast yeah he talks himself up to the point of it being quite comical but we also have to argue he was very unlucky at the weekend his strategy didn't work but you do get the feeling the car has potential um and there will probably be a race this year where it's in that mix up front, whether they can do it consistently and I think it's too early to say you know they were okay in Bahrain quite quick, but again with the reliability in Saudi and then here one car was very quick, one car less so so I think it's in, it's decent for Alpine because they've always been that team that's well you wonder if it's our plan if l if if plan was just to finish fifth forever, judging by the last few years but they are making progress. They are getting there. So hopefully, I, th- I think Alonso deserves a weekend where things go right uh, at some stage soon.
0: I think so. And that, again, speaks to the importance of, of qualifying in a super tight midfield. If you're not at the head yeah. of the midfield, it's difficult to rise to the head of the midfield when everyone seems so close. But that is something to work on for them.
1: We even saw Carlos. You know, yes, yeah. he had a lot of things go wrong and then dropped down at the start because the anti-store kicked him. But even from 13th, you know, there was an eagerness to try and gain positions. Um which then backfired on him
0: yeah exactly an interesting race in australia new track new well not new championship leader new championship leader for this year but the same old championship leader after three races and could be an all new outlook by the time we get to the end of the season oh there's still 20 races to go so let's keep a lid on it for now phil pleasure to have you on the show
1: thank you very much michael
0: Maybe the Ferrari isn't the outright fastest car, but on the evidence of the three races we've seen so far, it's very much the best. Its wide operating window has allowed it to handle three different tracks comfortably, while the RB18 has struggled to strike the sweet spot. And reliability has been the cherry on the Scuderia cake. It's too early to talk titles, but the signs are very good for Charles Leclerc. Thanks very much to Phil Horton for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Xero app store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mobile podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato and I'll be back in a couple of weeks to review the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix.